Welcome to Conquering Our Unseen Enemies. In this podcast, we help believers develop spiritual discernment. I am your host, Don Simmons, author, speaker, and YouTube host of Life Journey with Don Simmons. My purpose here is to explain Satan's strategies and how his kingdom functions to better equip you in reducing conflict, chaos, and ultimately eliminate Satan's influence in your life. These are life-changing conversations. We'll get started with this week's message in just a few moments. But first I want to ask you, would you like to know more about biblical history or historic and biblical places? Visit my YouTube channel, Life Journey with Don Simmons, to watch and learn about travels in historic areas discussed in the Bible. Come with us as we explore ancient places and share cultural background and influences on early Christianity. We will take you places where Paul wrote and shared the gospel. That's Life Journey with Don Simmons on YouTube. Welcome back. I am your host, Don Simmons, and in this episode of Conquering Our Unseen Enemies, we are going to be discussing part two of the ways we are enabled to conquer unseen and even seen enemies with the assistance of heavenly angels. We are going to continue to look at how angels have been revealed to us through the Bible and to understand who they are and their role. I will again share an ex- a story of my experiences with seeing an angel working and how it felt to be in the room during it all. So let's do a quick recap of what we have discussed so far, and then we will jump right into what the Bible tells us. Remember, we are only discussing heavenly angels. So first off, we know that angels are superior to humans in strength, intelligence, power, and character. They have supernatural abilities and far exceed our level of knowledge, but they are not all-knowing, all-powerful, nor omnipresent. Angels are holy and have always been holy. They were created by God. Originally, there were three companies of angels which were led by an archangel, or are led still. Two companies of these angels remain and are led by Archangel Michael or Archangel Gabriel. The third company of angels are fallen angels led by Satan. Angels are known for their activities of praising, worshiping, and carrying out God's commands. Angels are interested in, and many of their activities involve, humans and our journey of becoming saved through belief in Jesus. There are three types of angels, seraphim, which we've discussed, cherubim, we've also discussed, and living creatures, which is mostly what we're going to get into today. All right, let's get into our discussion for today. And what we are going to start with is the last example from the Old Testament, and that is in Daniel. Now, I love reading Daniel because it gives us really such a clear picture of what God is willing to do for those who are faithful to seek him. Daniel 
is unique. Not many could be as consistently faithful. So he is someone we can all learn to build from when we want to build strength. So we're reading Daniel 10, verses 2 through 14. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. So Daniel was praying for three weeks during this period. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now that's significant because Daniel would appear before the king at any time, and you could not appear before the king not looking healthy or having your appearance not be in order. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, so he's talking about the archangel Michael, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia, referring to the demon appointed by Satan over that territory because demons are territorial spirits. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So in these few verses, we learn a bit how the spirit realm works. We see that Daniel's prayer was set to be answered when he began praying. So don't think God doesn't hear you. He can respond the second we begin to pray. Also, we learn that there's a hierarchy among the angels. They need to travel and will encounter obstacles in their work to fulfill and carry out what God has assigned to them in response to our prayers. So don't ever say God doesn't answer your prayers. You align yourself with the enemy and your prayer is now inhibited because you didn't have the faith that Daniel had in keeping praying for three weeks. He not only prayed, but he was fasting throughout. So stand strong in your prayer request and let God work. 
Let's keep going and move on to the New Testament. We're going to go to Luke 1. And this was written by Luke the physician, who was Paul's traveling companion. And when Jesus died on the cross, remember that Jesus gave his mother to John to care for going forward. Jesus did have brothers, but because his brothers were not believers in Jesus when he died, he relied on John. After John's exile to Patmos was pardoned, he it was believed that he lived in Ephesus the, the, the remainder of his life because that's where he's actually buried. Um, but that's also where Mary was said to have lived as well. And Luke is reported to have spent time interviewing Mary to get more information for his documentation of these writings. So we're going to start with the most important angel visitation in the Bible. And that's Luke 1. And Luke 1 reveals that the archangel Gabriel, so there's two, Michael and Gabriel, visited Mary in Nazareth to tell her she would conceive Jesus. Now, I visited Nazareth earlier this year. It's located in a Palestinian territory and is vastly different than when Jesus was there. But you still find yourself caught up in the miracle of that location. And I was in the location that was Mary's house where she would have been when this occurred. Anyhow, here is what we told uh, here, what we're told in Luke one, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist and Mary's older cousin. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So again, we see that the angels are an integral part of the plan for our salvation. Now, Mary didn't pray for this. The Lord used angels to bring about his plan for salvation and establish his kingdom that will never end. Now, let's take a look at Mark 16 and see how God uses his angels. It says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white in a robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So God was using an angel to prepare the way for the disciples to see Jesus after the resurrection. Without the angel, it would have been devastating for the women to show up, and likely no one would have remembered what Jesus had told them. And who knows what could have happened in their distress looking for Jesus's body. You know, there could have been, they could have made accusations. It could have been violent. There could have been riot. Who knows? Because they weren't thinking about what he had told them that, you know, that he was going to be coming back. They weren't, they weren't expecting it. They didn't understand. And God is all about good communication. So now, We are going to move to Acts 8, and this is one of my favorite stories. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip was able to explain to the eunuch what he was reading and about Jesus, prompting the eunuch to want to be saved and baptized. So now let's go to verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Now here comes my favorite part. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's Caesarea Philippi, which we are working on a YouTube video about that. And that's where he ends up staying. And that's, uh, you know, he has a home there and all that. So this story is unique because we learn something new about angels among us. Philip is traveling about. It's not a populated area where this occurred. And we're told an angel of the Lord tells Philip what to do. And then afterward, Philip is whisked away, essentially transported to another location to continue to preach. Now, I've heard of a few occasions, and I mean two, where this has happened in the last century. Only one whose story that I can actually remember. But with God, anything is possible. Never naysay 
what you don't understand when God wants to move. You can end up missing something he wanted to use you for to build his kingdom. So let's move to Acts 12. And we are going to take a look at what an angel did for Peter. We're going to go to verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It was open for them by itself, and they went through it. And when he had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So there are times in our lives when we need a suddenly, and there are times when we need an action in the natural that can only be accomplished through the supernatural. I have lived some of those moments. Have you? If you were living one now, would you recognize it? Don't let anyone tell you God doesn't move in the miraculous today, that it's not for today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that from Hebrews 13.8. So that is your response to someone who is closed-minded and has no knowledge of who God is today. So we're going to spend a little time in the book of Revelation now because we haven't yet spoken about the third type of angels, the living creatures. So I'm going to give you eight scriptures which talk about their activities to come. Remember from part one, we discussed their appearance as having eyes all over them. So we at least have an idea what they look like. Okay, that was a bad pun, by the way, but I couldn't resist, and hopefully you got it. (laughs) So let's read the scriptures and get an understanding of them. So I'm just going to read the scriptures one after another. We're going to start off first with Revelation 5, 6. And this is John who is been given this vision of what's to come. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Revelation 5.8 And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Revelation 5.11 Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and 
the elders. Now, Revelation 5.14. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Revelation 6.1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. Revelation 6.6. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Revelation 7.11. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Then were Revelation 8.9. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So, the third being the, the fallen. So, while we're here to find answers regarding angels, reading those scriptures, and, and that is a small snapshot of all the scriptures available to us, that almost leads us to more questions than answers. We know that the Bible reveals to us what we need to know to understand, but not everything we need to know to understand the entirety of God's world. God doesn't need us to understand, so we have to understand what he allowed us to see and and allows us to see. And from what I see with these living creatures, they look specialized in what they do. They have a distinct appearance. And for some purpose, you know, we can't understand today, they have a place of significance in our future. They have control or an authority over aspects of the end times. They're definitely a part of what's going to happen. And they're full of worship. And they're in association with the elders. Now, a lot of what's in the book of Revelation is more difficult to understand because it's so foreign to us. But don't let that intimidate you. The book of Revelation is fascinating. And it may take a few reads to get it down, but that's okay. Spend some time there and you will gain an understanding of heaven and see Jesus in a way few understand. I want to tell you the story of my father-in-law. I haven't shared this with but a handful of people in my life. Now, not many people would believe it, but that's not really my concern at this point. If you've made it this far, then chances are you'll appreciate what I'm sharing. This happened just over eight years ago. My father-in-law was sick for a while, cancer. He was a good man, a very good man. He had a difficult childhood that he didn't speak of often. He and his sister were foster children at a young age and were placed in a facility run by the Catholic Church. It was a miserable childhood. They were separated, so he was alone and was treated horribly. As an adult, it made him turn away from any form of religion. In the last few years, however, he began to ask my husband questions. He was seeking and I think trying to reconcile what he experienced as a child 
with who God is. And I think that's understandable. So fast forward to the last year of his life, and he did start reading the Bible, talking more, asking more. It was exciting to see, but he would always stop just short. So trust was an issue with him, and he struggled to trust a God he didn't fully know or understand. On April 27th, 2015, my mother-in-law called my husband and said, I think it's time and you need to get here quickly. They lived about three hours or so from us, so we left as quickly as we could and got there around 1.30. When we arrived at the house, Tom, my father-in-law, was in a hospital bed in the living room. He'd been on hospice for a while. So he'd been probably in that bed there for a few months. Um, I think it's, it's hard to remember that. So we were the first to arrive that day. So only my mother-in-law was there. As soon as we walked in the house, I felt the presence of something. And it took me a minute to orient myself, but I knew we were not alone. Someone else was there, someone strong and good. And I told my husband, but under the circumstances, I don't know really how much he heard of what I was trying to describe to him. It was an emotional time when we entered the house. My father-in-law was in a medically induced coma so that he could pass peacefully in his sleep. So as my husband and his mom talked, I stepped back to the side to try to understand what I was feeling there. And as I looked around the room, I could see there were angels circling above Tom. They were there waiting on something as they looked at Tom. At first glance, you might assume they were waiting on on Tom to pass, but there was more to it than that. I looked down at Tom in the hospital bed, and that's when I realized what the angels were doing. They were watching. There was an exchange going on between Tom and another angel that looked like a man a higher-ranking angel based on his dress. Remember in the first episode when we talked about Isaiah 6, and he gave the description of the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple? Well, this angel wore a robe that defied how material lays or gathers in our natural world. There were folds on folds on folds of material, but it was as if the material multiplied in the folds because material just doesn't lay like that. When I was a kid, my mom, she really liked to sew. And so we would go to the store with her shopping for material and she would buy it on bolts and and play with it. And so I'm familiar with how material can be manipulated to create folds But that's not what this was. The length of the robe was just to his feet. He was older than most angels I have seen or heard about. And his robe was decorated with blue silk embroidery and tassels along the the collar and down the front edges of the robe. The only thing I can remember seeing that I understood was pomegranates that were embroidered in it. So the robe was unbelievably beautiful and it was amazingly white. 
The angel knew I was there, knew I could see him, but he never looked at me, so I never got to see his face. And part of me thinks that's a good thing because the way this other angel was described in Daniel, I would probably have um, scared me. But, you know, his focus was on Tom. He was speaking with Tom because his time was near. The angel had one job and was intent on fulfilling it. He was giving Tom the opportunity to accept Jesus. Remember, Tom was in a coma, so he was not in a position to do it fully conscious the way you or I can. Now, I could tell there was a back and forth. Tom was finally getting answers, answers beyond what we were able to provide. I remember him asking me once, he was sick already, and so he was he was beginning to ask questions. And I remember him asking me once, how do you know that he is? And all I could say was because he said he was, I am. And I showed him in the Bible where God calls himself, I am. The angel and Tom spoke for what was a few hours in our time. And I only know that by the change of lighting in the room. People came in, you know, during that time and stood next to Tom where the angel was, but it didn't change anything. There was a lot of conversation. And the later it got, the more people came in. Then without any indication, the angel was gone. The angels above were still there. They were more animated at this point. At one point, you know, more people left. And so it was quieter. And my husband took his phone and pulled up a Johnny Cash song and placed it by Tom's ear. And Johnny Cash was his favorite. And my husband, he would come back to spend those moments with Tom and tell him that he loved him, knowing that he could hear him or believing that he could hear him. And then he would go back to his mom. But during the Johnny Cash song, Tom actually woke up and he woke up just long enough to look at my husband, say, I love you. And then he closed his eyes again and he went back to sleep. I actually think that that was a gift that God gave my husband to be able to have that one last moment with Tom, who was fully aware in that brief moment. Can you imagine someone coming out of a coma just to have that moment to tell their child, I love you? It was, it was pretty amazing. No doubt that was a, a gift from, from God. By about eight or so that night, everyone had left and made plans to come back in the morning. Me, my mother-in-law, and my husband sat in the living room and talked. At around 9.30, I decided to leave the three of them alone, have some family privacy, and I went to read the Bible in the room that we were staying in for the night. At, at 10, Don asked his mom how she was going to handle being alone, and she said she would be okay. And then in that instant, they no longer heard Tom breathing, and I hear my mother-in-law scream my name. So I came running, and they were standing beside Tom. I came up to him, checked for vital signs, and dreaded having to look up at them and tell them he was gone, confirming what I knew that they 
already knew. And the rest of the night was a whirlwind of activity with everyone coming back and, uh, you know, the, the medical folks coming in. And, you know, I, I don't really recall if we left the next day to get back to the kids or if we stayed a day, but I do remember that it was a pretty quiet as we were driving back. And my husband was praying. And he didn't know all the details of what I saw because I hadn't had time to tell him. But he was praying and he asked the Lord if his dad was with him. And the Lord gave him a loud and clear yes. And that was all my husband needed. So God uses his angels for his purposes and they complete what the Lord sends them to do. Never discount just, be, you know, God because you can't see it. I was the only one who saw those angels. I was the only one who saw the conversation. But if I had not been there, it still would have happened. We just had the benefit of seeing God at work through his angels. No circumstance is too small or too large for I am. I have enjoyed our time discussing heavenly angels, and I hope it was helpful in building your understanding of how God uses his angels. We cannot fully conquer our unseen enemies until we understand everything the Holy Spirit makes available to us. If you know anyone who might benefit from this, please share. As always, let's discuss our top show points. This was part two of our discussion of heavenly angels. We began with a recap of some of the most important parts of part one. Then we talked about Daniel 10 and the angel appearing in response to Daniel's prayer. Then we talked about Luke 1 and the angel that appeared to Mary regarding the birth of Jesus. We went into Acts 8 and we took a look at Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then we moved further in Acts to 12 with Peter and how he was busted out of jail. Then we look in the book of Revelation and we read about the living creatures. And we read about them in verses uh, chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 11, chapter 5, verse 14, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 7, verse 11, and chapter 8, verse verse 9. And then we ended with the story of my father-in-law passing and the beautiful angel that I saw with him. We encourage you to have an active Bible reading plan. It will be helpful in gaining wisdom and understanding, and it is required for the gift of spiritual discernment. If you want to learn more about hearing God's voice, take a look at my book, Loving Conversations, how to pray and hear God's voice. There's also a study guide available and two new devotionals out based on the Loving Conversations book. So one devotional is for men and one is for women. Also, I have a class coming up on August 2nd, an online seven-week class, and it's based on the Loving Conversations book on how to hear God's voice. You can get all of this and sign up at the website, Loving Conversations, Salo, that's S-A-L-O, Dot com. I've enjoyed our time this week, and I look forward to spending time with you again next week. 
That is all we have for this week's episode of Conquering Our Unseen Enemies. I hope you enjoyed your time with me, and I would kindly ask you to rate our show and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Conquering Our Unseen Enemies. Now, if you have a story or a question you want to share, please email me at contact at conquering our unseen enemies.com. We do not need to use your name. And finally, please share this podcast with anyone you think might need it and enjoy it. So until next time, remember, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But we can give him an eviction notice. <laughs> <laughs>